0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. And if you're new to this podcast series, I am so glad you could join me today. And maybe a friend, a brother or a sister or co or someone on Instagram suggested or encouraged you to listen to this podcast. I'm really glad and delighted that you're here. So please pull up a chair, get real comfy. Maybe you're stuck in traffic could possibly be the best thing that could have happened to you today. Why? Because this episode truly exemplifies what this podcast series is all about and why I have such a deep commitment in demystifying women's hormonal issues and struggles and everything that dances in between. And the title of today's episode, Breast Cancer, What All Women Need to Know. One in eight women will develop breast cancer over the course of her lifetime. The American Association for Cancer Research says that by the year 2030, new cases of breast cancer are expected to increase by 50%. And women under 40 only make up less than 5% of diagnosed breast cancer cases. But here's where it gets really interesting. The chances of developing breast cancer increase with age. And about 95% of women diagnosed with it are over 40, and about half are 61 and older. So here's the good news, and I always have good news on this show. I have a wonderful guest. She is a health practitioner, a chiropractor for over 30 years, a medical educator and lecturer, and currently living outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Her name is Veronica Gasco. She was diagnosed nearly two years ago with breast cancer. And I'm so honored to have her as a guest on the Hormone Lifestyle Zone because she gets to share her story. And Veronica has a very rich understanding of women's health issues. So together, we're going to take a deep dive in ways that you can be proactive Dr. Veronica Gasco will help us understand estrogen metabolism and estrogen pathways and how they influence a woman's risk for breast cancer and other estrogen-related cancers and why so many women don't detox estrogen well. We will also talk about the profound significance of the gut microbiota and how it influences your detoxification and elimination of estrogens as well as discussing how liver detoxification pathways play a crucial role in breast health and hormones, particularly estrogen. We don't wake up one day with breast cancer. There are a variety of factors that include some of the following, lifestyle, diet, environmental factors, stress, how are we managing stress, and genetic variants, and how this all comes into play. So, Veronica, I want to welcome you onto the Hormone Lifestyle Zone.
1: Thank you so much, Meg. I am very, very privileged and honored to be here. I thank you so much for having the opportunity to be able to share with all the of your listeners. I really just hope that somebody can benefit. If nothing else comes out of the fact of my journey, I hope that it is able to benefit other people and make their journey a little bit easier as they go through some of the health problems that I did. I am nearly done with all of the little stages that I had to go through. I finished up all of my chemo, surgery, radiation, more chemo. And now I'm just waiting for my body to heal to the point that we'll do my final surgery after mastectomy where they'll do the reconstruction. I'm really looking forward to that. But there are so many changes that happened. And there were so many symptoms that I had that I didn't understand. Uh, Even people that had breast cancer hadn't told me and the doctors didn't tell me what to expect. And I know I've spoken with many people that I've been able to let them know, you know, here's the things to look out for. Here's the things to do so that your symptoms are less. I wish somebody had told me some of the information that I know now. So if I can benefit anyone, I'm definitely here to help people.
0: So why don't you uh, start us on that, that story, that journey, you know, you were diagnosed in early December of 2018. Leading up to that, what was your health like? What was going on for you
1: in your life? Well, I had been in excellent health and I didn't realize as this was happening, I was becoming more and more tired. I blamed it on the fact that I was just working hard and work was encompassing a lot of what I was doing. I had moved to a new home. I was trying to get it set up. Uh, My parents were older. I was caring for them. And I was just outputting a lot of energy in a lot of different directions. And I felt like I was being pulled in many directions. And so as I felt tired, I thought, Wow, well, it's just because I have so much going on, not realizing that I'm actually one of those people who has had a lot going on, giving out a lot of energy to many different people and different avenues, and and I was involved in many different organizations to help society in the world and in my town for many years. But suddenly something was different. And I wish I'd paid more attention, but it was the beginning of the process. And uh, one day I was taking a shower and I felt something under my arm and I realized it feels like a lymph node. And I thought, well, maybe I'm fighting something off. And I thought a moment longer and I said, something inside of me is telling me, look at this. So I did a, a self breast exam in the shower and I said, there's a lump. I said, that's a large lump. And it felt to me at about five centimeters. And one of my neighbors, for the new house I had moved into, did have breast cancer five years ago, and she told me that. And I immediately called her and she gave me her doctor. I called them and they were so gracious to get me into the next day, I was right in their office. As soon as they committed an ultrasound, they looked at me and said, all right, we need to do a biopsy. I thought, well, that's odd. It's rather quick, isn't it? And they did a biopsy right there and explained to me they had the intention that they would be doing surgery, either to remove what was either cancerous or not, but there was something there that needed to be removed. I was stunned. And I saw a commercial recently where they talked about how you remember that moment that you get diagnosed with cancer. It's one of those those big moments in your life that you'll always remember, like, where were you when you know Kennedy was shot or 9-11 and the towers fell? And to me, that's one of those huge moments that I'll always remember. It's just instilled in my brain. But I also decided by the end of the day, I didn't want that to become something that I focused on that would always be something that would hurt my heart. Instead, I wanted it to be something of a moment of how am I going to care for myself? How am I going to make the change? What do I have to do next? So instead of focusing on being, I think I cried that entire day, Mm -hmm. but by the next day I said, all right, now I have to deal. what's my next step? And by focusing on that and focusing on getting well and using the knowledge that I had, I realized I didn't know a whole lot about breast cancer. My profession that I've been in either as a chiropractor, where we just help the body to heal and get well, we didn't do a lot as far as cancer, except for adjusting the body and helping to heal. As far as the company that I work for now, where I help doctors to heal with their patients, it's one of the subjects we do not talk about because we want oncologists to handle that. So I began my journey into learning about it. And that's what I hope that I can share as far as all the nutrients that people can use, the parts of their life, the stress ways of removing stress from their life that will help them to either prevent this or help them to heal faster. So I hope that can be helpful as we go through. Um, I think I got off topic as far as where you wanted me to go with that. No, 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 no. This
0: is, (laughs) you know, I always can tell when somebody's speaking from their heart and I I think this is important. I mean, you are a health practitioner and, and I find sometimes, you know, we have a basic understanding of certain, you know, we're going to go into this in a few moments, like estrogen pathways and how things metabolize. But then when it hits home, we take this incredible deep dive into figure out, well, what does that mean? And that is, you know, there's a variety of things I I, I want to talk about. And I think I'd like to land on in this moment, um, your understanding that you can share with women of um, the, uh, you know, the estrogen pathways, Um and how we're metabolizing them and talk about, you know, the, the estrogen, you know, 2, 4 and 16, the bad, the good, or the good, the bad, the ugly. And um why, you know, what happens in that process of yes. ex- estrogen detoxification? And, you know, some people just don't detoxify estrogens well, and some people convert them into the bad estrogens. So I, I, I'd like you to kind of bring some clarity to that.
1: It's, it's really, um, it's challenging in one way, and in another way, it's a very simplified thing to understand. Everyone, every person, male, female, in between, we all need to detoxify and utilize estrogen and testosterone in our body. We look at these as hormones that are going to play many, many different functions in the body. So if we look at the female body, it's not just reproduction. That's what we think about primarily, but it's also mm-hmm. bone health. It's a cardiovascular system. It will influence our behavior, our mood. Estrogens are really important to our body, but we have three major estrogens. We've got what we call E1, E2, and E3. At different points in our life, we'll have more of one than the other. And they also can be stronger or weaker than the other. So having those balances, and we don't need to, no one needs to memorize what they are, but your practitioner can memorize what they are and help to guide you. We can do lab tests to know if you're in the right ranges or not. And they can do a lab test that's called a two to 16 ratio. And with that, what we want to do is look at, how our body will metabolize and uh, detoxify the estrogen. As the estrogen will go through the liver, we have what we call phase one, which is hydroxylation, and phase two, which is methylation and glucuronidation. Again, you don't have to remember all these words, but this is how the estrogen will be detoxified and then excreted from the body. So we want to use it, and then excrete it. Sometimes it gets put back into the body and recirculated. The pathway that it goes through is very important. So as Meg said, we have a two, a 16, and a four. The two is the good, that's our nice, creates the weakest or good estrogens. You have the 16, which is less harmful, and then you have the four, which is the persistent estrogens in our body. When they have a tendency to go through that pathway, it creates more dangerous estrogens, what we call xenoestrogens. It can cause dangerous tissue growth. If it goes unchecked, that is one of the things that leads to many different issues in the body. It can be things like PCOS, endometriosis, fibrocytic breasts, and even breast cancer and other cancers in the body these are also signs of estrogen dominance. Exactly, exactly. So, and that's probably the most common people will hear that term, either estrogen dominance or um, the local PCOS. But even when people have PMS, the P menstrual syndromes right. before this, and they're finding that with their cycle, it's either very heavy, they feel those huge mood changes. Those are signs that maybe something's going to happen later on. Doesn't mean it necessarily has to, but those are signals. Let me get my body either under check or let me just take the things that I know that's going to make it work better. And so with myself, I was following those things. I was diagnosed when I was younger as estrogen dominant. I had very high testosterone. Um, I was a avid athlete. I did all sorts of things from motorcycle riding. Uh, I did water skiing. I worked out in the gym. I did weightlifting where I did was in bodybuilding competition for many years. I went as far as I could go as far as natural bodybuilding before they started to introduce putting steroids into the body. And I wouldn't do that as a chiropractor. So I stopped doing that and just got involved in other athletic activities. And I wasn't paying attention to everything as far as when you do sometimes something that seems like it's for health, like doing bodybuilding, you have to do extreme dieting, you have to take away fats from your body. Now, of course, we know if we look at the progress of nutrition in the even in just America over the past 50 to 100 years, we went from eating from our gardens to the industrialized society. We started having grocery stores and making foods that would last longer and shipping them across the country. And our foods went down. This put more toxins into our body. We started putting preservatives. It's all the basis of what we started doing. And then we looked at diets of having what the American Medical Association would say, okay, here's the standard American diet, or here is the diet for diabetes, or here's the diet for heart. And we went, low fat, low carbs, high carbs, high fat. And we switched all these diets around. It's been very challenging for people that have been living, as long as I have, to go through all these diets because our body has a lot of changes that have happened to it. Were you
0: yourself doing a lot of yo-yo dieting at one mm-hmm. point?
1: Yes. And
0: also, you know, you said that you had elevated levels of testosterone when you were younger. Do you feel you had like a, were you having irregular periods? Were you having a PCOS kind of syndrome, because again, with polycystic ovarian syndrome, you don't always have to have cysts on your ovaries, but that elevation of testosterone is is a big
1: flag. Yeah. Interestingly enough, if I went just by my symptoms, mm-hmm. I didn't really have anything that I would have noted. My periods were very stable. They were very light. I basically had no mood changes. I remember my husband saying to me, "His." If he goes, if I didn't ask you if you're having your cycle, I would never know, Mm -hmm. because my mood never changed. When most people have PMS and they and they have these changes in how they feel, I didn't have any of that, which is nice for me. When I look at the cycle and I look
0: at estrogen dominance, particularly during years where women are menstruating, you know that balance of estrogen and progesterone. Part of that, and I've I've said this in other podcasts, that leads to estrogen dominance, is progesterone kind of being shunted down stress pathways away from the cycle. So it's not just a decline of progesterone. As as we get older, there's a decline in progesterone as we go through perimenopause and into menopause. But that decline is also related to it's shunted down stress pathways. It's the precursor to cortisol. It's shunted down stress pathways when our blood sugar is dipping and diving the standard American diet. And it also, it's, it's, there's, you know, so if you amplify that too, and I would like your opinion on this, is that if women are not detoxing estrogens efficiently, it just compounds it, meaning that if their diet, we can jump into this, if their diet is lacking in cruciferous vegetables, which is high in endol 3 carbonyl, right, helps in detoxification of, of estrogens and sulforaphane which is another aspect that helps in detoxification of, of estrogens, that's, that to me is, is a big part of the picture. And it's interesting that, you know, on some level, your estrogen and progesterone were levels were pretty fine at that time because you weren't showing symptoms of PMS. But you had told me, and I'm not sure the, the, the diagnosis, you, oh, that's later on, 20 years ago, and I'm going to jump a bit, because I want to tie a thread. Twenty years ago, they had found a benign um, tumor behind your right eye. Ten years ago, you were diagnosed with lupus. So I, there's some inflammatory, or I, I always
1: say that low fire going on. And yeah, I think many times we don't realize it when younger, and this is where lab testing can come in. Mm-hmm. Now, everyone doesn't have to get lab testing all the time, but it can be very important to know some of the underlying things. And that was the only way I knew that I was estrogen dominant when I was younger mm-hmm. is I went to, when I had been diagnosed with this brain, it was a benign brain tumor, mm-hmm. and they didn't know exactly what it was. So we did a series of MRIs and they said, well, we're just going to do another MRI every six months mm-hmm. and we'll watch and see if it grows. And <laughs> if it <we> grows... <laughs> How ridiculous does that seem? I know. If it grows, then we'll know it's something bad. And then we really need to look into it further. Okay. So that does add in a layer of stress, knowing that every six months you have to keep going. At one point, I did stop going and getting it tested because I felt like the stress of that and just knowing that I had... Like, waiting for something to grow is an unnecessary stress in my life. And I I read and went to many positive motivational seminars. And as a chiropractor, I think we're exposed to huge amounts of positive motivation. And it's it's the way we think. And so it felt anti-my inner being to keep waiting for something to grow. But I did for many, many years. And I had it tested again recently. And um, nothing has really changed, although that they thought they had a possible diagnosis, but we still don't know. Um, but then with the having diagnosed um, with the lupus, the doctor did say to me, I don't understand. I'm finding that you have genetic testing that I'm showing everything that you have lupus. It's showing up in the blood test. It's showing up mm-hmm. as far as when we're doing the genetic testing, but you don't have any of the symptoms. Now, I have occasionally, and I didn't even relate it to that, but I do have people that my aunt has lupus in the family. And I had been living a, an, an autoimmune protocol for many, many years. There are certain things that we typically would recommend a person with an autoimmune disease to do as far as taking care of their body and either healing or maintaining so that they don't have the symptoms of the autoimmune and then it's not injuring their body. And because I had been doing that for so many years, just because I found that's how I felt best, it almost hid the fact that I had this. And but I really had no idea.
0: So when you're
1: addressing
0: lupus, and I always look at an autoimmune issue as you know you you have a predisposition so it's kind of like the weak link in the chain yes. and then something happened there was some type of trigger which leads to gut permeability and then with gut permeability you get these particles or these molecules leaking back into the bloodstream that whether it be undigested food or bacteria that stimulates an autoimmune response and that, and, and basically, you're you're creating you you have inflammation going on, systemic inflammation. So when you are dying, and and everyone's like, what does this have to do with breast cancer? I'm creating a story here, because the reality is, and as I said before, we don't wake up with breast cancer. I find with so many women, there's a story, a backstory of things that have been going on for decades. And this, I'm so glad that we can have this conversation, Veronica. You and I about this. So, getting back to the lupus, your doctor was surprised, but you, from what you and I have chatted about, you have been living with chronic pain.
1: I have been, yeah. Um, I and that's a symptom. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I was born with uh, six lumbar vertebra, which is an extra vertebra where the bottom didn't fuse. And it created an instability in my low back. In fact, it's called a, the vertebra is called a hemivertebra, which means it's large on one side and small on the other. So it sits Mm -hmm. at an angle. So I have this constant angle and it also has what they call a tropism, which means it twists. So angles and twists every step I take. So it's Mm -hmm. going to have a constant amount of the muscles are going to kick in, and they're going to be working differently. The ligaments are going to become stressed and tender. So there's a, a bit of, cum, that would always be there. But then I fell about 20 years ago, down, backwards down a flight of stairs. And I fractured a bunch of things in my back and the discs. I broke a piece off of one of the discs and it was floating in my spinal cord. So I was in bed for about two years uh, where I couldn't move very much. And then slowly, slowly started to heal. In fact, I feel like I'm in less pain now than I was years ago. I I keep feeling like if I took away the fact of what I've gone through in the past two years with the breast cancer, that aside, I actually feel better than I did years ago. And I think I'm I've. Just taking very good care of myself and finding the things that you need to do. And we need to recognize those things in our body, though. If we're giving out too much emotionally and mentally to other people and we're not taking care of ourselves, it doesn't do us any good because we can't keep helping others if we don't take care of ourselves. And that was one of the things I had to learn.
0: So part of that I, I just would would like to touch on again, aside from the back pain, did you have systemic joint pain? Mainly Did you in- have a fibromyalgia or
1: was it just localized to the back? That was my understanding when we spoke. For me, it's more in my low back, just where I have the injury, the initial instability, and then that was injured from the fall. And then I had several injuries there. I do have knee pain from a car accident. And I have shoulder pain because I've I've dislocated both shoulders. Now, I would assume that part of this is that with the lupus, it does create a lot of instability within and I have hip problems from, again, a car accident. So there was an injury that started it, but then it continued as a chronic thing. And then it had to do, the chronicity of it has to do with the fact of lupus. Now, to be honest, I think the pain could be a lot worse if I didn't have exactly. all the nutrients going into right, my body. Right. I have a low level of pain all the time and you get used to it. Just like if you wear a watch or you wear a ring, when you first put it on, it feels very foreign. You're very aware of it. You keep touching it, feeling it. And then when you go out of the house and you realize you don't have your watch, or your ring on, you're driving and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I, I don't feel it. Where did it fall off? So we get these proprioceptor nerves that actually realize that something's there or not. And the same thing happens with our body. The nerves will slow down and they're firing after a while with chronic pain, which the bad part of that is that sometimes we cannot pay attention, but also if we create healing, it doesn't have to fire as often. So I think I've, I have now gotten to the point that I do many things. In fact, today I had a shake this morning, which is a medical food, which helps to lower the inflammatory component of my body. It helped with some liver detoxification and it helped my GI tract. So when I take a shake like that, I know I'm going to feel better throughout the day. So what was, your sh- what was in your shake? Well, it's called ultra And like mm-hmm. the name says, inflammation, it helps to lower the inflammatory component. It's got glutamine and and different components in it that do help to heal the GI tract, which our GI tract, you know, it's a tube within our body. So we actually kid around and say it's outside of our body, which realistically it is, uh, even though it's inside of our body, but it does need constant care and attention. And remember that 80% or more of our entire immune system can stem from our GI tract. It's one of the most important components. And when we tie it together with something like autoimmune disease, That's where most of it begins. When we go into cancers, it can begin as part of the process, what's going on in our immune tract. If it's protecting us, if it's allowing things into our body that it shouldn't be, how it's able to detoxify and move things through. People that are constipated you know, it's such seems like such a simple thing. Oh, it's okay. I'm constipated. I only go every five days. Well, that is a very unhealthy way to live. And And, and, very destructive. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And also with constipation, which I see with a lot of women, you can get an increase in an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. And beta-glucuronidase inhibits Proper elimination and detoxification of estrogens. So basically, you're recirculating estrogens in the, in the body. And one of the things that helps with detoxification of estrogen in the bowels and lowering of that beta glucuronidase, you want to make sure that you have a good balance of probiotics that include, you know, um, lactobacillus and biobifidus. And also another point which I find so fascinating, I've been studying a lot with Tom O'Brien and, and Tom O'Brien has a book on autoimmunity. He's brilliant. And he oh, himself has a yes. celiac and he's just, oh, I love studying with Tom. So anyway, it was, and he gets very excited and geeky about information. <laughs> but what I, I love- I love his love, explanations. <laughs> and yeah, they're great. They stay with you. But, you know, it, it struck home. It's, if you think about it, the human genome consists of twenty three thousand genes. The microbiome genome consists of over 200,000 genes in the microbiota. That microbiota, those genes influence the human genome. So, what is really dictate? So, when we talk about that, it's 80% of our immune system, the microbiome is influencing the turning on and off of human genes in the body. That is why the integrity of the gut, as you said, constipation influences whether or not we're detoxifying estrogens efficiently. And I know a lot of people are saying, okay, I, you know, what do I do for, for breast cancer? What do I do in, in terms of eating? stay away from processed foods, eat a lot of cruciferous vegetables, high in endol three carbonol, uh, sulforaphane, these things help detox estrogens and xenoestrogens. So making sure every day you're having, I say to people aim for six, people are going to be in shock, aim for six to nine cups of vegetables a day. Yeah, and We don't do that in our world. We're like, well, what do you mean no. I have to eat vegetables? I'm like, if you fill up on veggies, you're not going to want to eat cookies and candy. You know, as, as I say, you know, we've talked about this. You know, I believe in a plant-based, uh, 70% your plate plant-based. And then looking at, you know, 30% lean protein and healthy fats. We don't eat enough vegetables. So eating a lot of greens will also, that fiber helps in in greens and vegetables is a prebiotic that
1: will help build healthy probiotics. People forget about prebiotics. So,
0: and people, yes, right? Get, let's talk about prebiotics. because prebi- oh, love it. You know, when we're talking about cancer, breast cancer, lupus, fibromyalgia, psoriasis, eczema, guess what? We're talking about a starting point That is looking at how does the liver detox, phase one and two, phase three is elimination through the bowels. What are the things that we can do to make sure that you have a healthy microbiome, that there are tight junctions in the bowels that keep everything inside that tube? And what helps in the integrity of the healthy GI tract microbiome are prebiotics, which help build the probiotics.
1: Pre and probiotics are very important. When we look at a prebiotic and we look at different types of fiber, prebiotics will feed the bacteria, just the good bacteria in our GI tract, not the bad, and they're not feeding our bodies. They're specifically for just to feed the bacteria. And what's amazing about it is that you're building your inborn immune system. The bacteria that you've had for where you live in the country, from your genetics, from your mother that you have gained in your GI tract and have changed now throughout your life. You know, you'll have different new bacteria that'll come in. So instead of just going for a bottle of probiotics and putting in a bacteria that you don't know if it's the right one for you, if you feed what's in there and how simple it is just to use fibers and vegetables, I mean, it can't get any easier than that. They're
0: fertilizer. They're fertilized. I look at it this yes. way: prebiotics are fertilizers for your immune system, for that healthy microbiome. That's why fermented vegetables. You know, people are like, oh, why do I have to eat sauerkraut or kimchi? It can expand and and grow that healthy microbiome. So, having a, a spoonful, let's say, of sauerkraut uh, one day and maybe another day you have the next day you have a couple of spoonfuls of kimchi and the day after that a uh, couple of spoonfuls of fermented beets all these things contribute
1: to a lush and healthy microbiome and for some people when they're hearing this they may think what are those things and that seems so difficult for me and there's no reason they couldn't on the way to learning how to do that you can get a prebiotic that you can buy from one of the premier nutraceutical companies that will feed your GI tract. And they come in tablets, they come in powders. And so if it seems too challenging for you to start with food, start with a vitamin, a supplement that will feed it for you. And then as you get healthier, it's funny how our diets change and we want to start to eat better. And you'll pick out and you'll start using <laughs> those foreign names that seem very hard to some people. But it's uh, it's part of the learning process of what to do for our bodies.
0: And, and But also the issue to, to look at too, and this is why fruits and veggies are really important, what feeds an unhealthy microbiome, and you can take prebiotics orally, but if you're eating a processed diet, that's not going to help. It's not going to benefit you in the way that... Shifting your diet and eating more uh, whole food-based is is going to change things. I, I find with my clients, I'm a, a bit of a, a kind general. I, I try to get people to change the way they eat. And part of this I will tap into is a lot of women that I see with hormonal issues have a lot of bacterial overgrowth, like SIBO small intestinal, a bacterial overgrowth. So um, where, how does that stem? Where does that come from? I think the standard American diet having you know processed foods, what is SIBOS? You know, your small intestine is the area of the bowels where you absorb your nutrients. And if you have bad bacteria growing up in the small bowels, you get this gas and bloat and and constipation, chronic constipation, I see. I'm seeing more and more constipation with the women I'm working with that are having hormonal issues. It's very, and, very, common. and that is the so the and and also I'm I'm changing. Uh, I've brought this up in the past, but when you're trying to address uh, constipation issues, you can't feed that healthy bacteria yet. You have to make sure that you you're you're eliminating. Uh, you're having frequent bowel movements, and that is having one to three movements a day. This and, is why
1: people need you.
0: <laughs> and, yeah. And so, practitioners that and, do functional and, medicine. And, and I yes, you know, again, getting back to 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 breast cancer and breast health, the, the ways that you can address this is being and, and please chime in, Veronica, is making sure that you have a diet that is high in leafy greens and what we call cruciferous greens. And those are Brussels sprouts and cabbage and broccoli and cauliflower and bok choy and kale. Now, what happens for a lot of women I work with, they bloat when they have that. So I have to kind of, I have to clean up the gut and then introduce those vegetables in their diet. And I will say that at least 60% of the women that see me have bacterial overgrowth in the bowels and constipation.
1: Yeah, that's why when they're eating these Vegetables, which should be healthy for them, they're having reaction. Yeah, they're having it's,
0: methane. They're just producing all this gas. And it, these these yeah. veggies are great, but it's just that we have to kind of rebalance the bacteria in your gut and products that. Well, I'm going to say, you know, you you are a nutraceutical educator for Metagenics, and there are a few products, and I'm not doing this to just make this a, a metagenics moment, but I love metagenics products and they're they're really good when it comes to bacterial overgrowth. And I use candibactin BR, which is high in berberine. Yes. And the candibactin AR, which is, um, it's got the oregano. Uh, sage, sage, thyme, mm-hmm. all these oils. That help to get rid of this bad bacteria in the gut to kind of clean the slate. So then we can start inoculating with good bacteria. And to me, these issues of constipation and bad back- and bacterial overgrowth in the gut are also, to me, is part of the picture that can potentially trigger or be part of that picture for breast cancer down the road. Because what I, I see a lot with these individuals, as you said, are the PMS signs of the estrogen dominance,
1: right? Yeah. And we can have all these things that can influence the estrogen production, the metabolism, the balance of it in the body. So it all comes from what we eat. Um, we mentioned obesity. Uh, yes. There's a lot of different lungs that we can look at. One of the things we didn't talk about is insulin levels. Yeah. Insulin has a huge effect on the ovaries. Absolutely. I was going to ask about. Yeah, yeah, it has, a, and there's relationships between different types of hormonal cancers, and so you may be that in your family. We do genetic testing. I know they did genetic testing with myself and many of my friends that have had cancer, and they look at even though that can be only five percent of the reason you may get cancer it's still an important factor to look at and we want to know you know if you have any of these genetic factors so that way you can say all right well let me protect myself let me do it doesn't mean you have to have an organ removed in- and to prevent something but it may mean now i know that i need to take some of these steps nutritionally to protect my body, that I want my body to metabolize estrogen correctly. Let me have the cruciferous vegetables or let me make sure that I have a nutrient that'll do that. So I understand right. that as, as we try to eat better, it's very challenging for people. Mm-hmm. And if they're not going to eat it, then we need to take the nutrient itself. Totally agree. And sometimes we have to do Absolutely. both. Like something like cruciferous vegetables, we get a small conversion of what we'd actually, if you're really concerned with cancers and the action of that, it's going to have many different functions, but it only has a small conversion into the uh, nutrients that we need from the cruciferous vegetables for fighting off cancer. So... We really want to get that sephorafane and we need different nutrients broken down with it in order to create that in our body. It's actually way more efficient to have the vitamin and take the supplement than it is to just eat the vegetables. Oh, just for I that one point. Uh, but I, yeah, yeah, don't want to I, take anything away no, from the no, vegetables. No. <laughs> and, and, and I
0: actually um, place everyone on a product with uh, sephorafane in it. Because sulforaphane, which is derived from cabbage, and actually this, it's really highly concentrated in broccoli sprouts. Yeah, it's a broccoli is, seeds. Opens the up extract, the yeah. seeds. Thank you. Really helps enhance liver detoxification in phase one and two of estrogens. So we are bombarded by xenoestrogens that are in our cosmetics and plastics. And I will say this to everyone right now: I was a you know, please, please stop using what they even say BPA plastic-free bottles to put your water in. They have xenoestrogens. And I was working out yesterday at Orange Theory and God bless this gal. She had a plastic gallon container of water. And I just sometimes I I wanted to walk over and just say, please don't do that. Yeah. And I recommend to every single woman that I work with, I put them on sephoraphane. So, it can be Sephora Clear, Metagenics. Numetica makes a really good product called Bricolinate Activated. It's essential. And another great compound is calcium deglucurate because it enhances liver detoxification, reduces the enzyme beta glucuronidase in the GI tract, thus supporting healthy excretion of estrogens, inhibiting estrogens from recirculating that can contribute to a state of estrogen dominance that includes many PMS symptoms, cramping, heavy bleeding, passing of clots, fibroids, uterine polyps, and breast cancer. I think actually uh, sulforaphane may be better than endol 3 carbonyl in, or I should say DIM in detoxification of estrogens.
1: Well, there are different pathways that we're looking at. And so many times, And this is what I find that, Mm -hmm. again, why people should go to a functional medicine practitioner rather than just trying to self-diagnose. Absolutely. What they need is that there are some things that you want just a single nutrient or you want, you know, Mm -hmm. you're you're working on single pathways. Like something like Metagenics the cedophonial, Sephora clear. And we're really working on the sephoraphane and working on that pathway. Mm -hmm. But we'll put other nutrients with it to to get a higher... Yes, Correct. work synergistically. You get a higher upregulation of the activity that you want by adding in certain nutrients. And this is why sometimes people will go to just buy a certain nutrient without mm-hmm. getting the combination and they yeah. don't get the effect that they want. And so there are certain companies that we know that are more pharmaceutical based. Mm-hmm. There are certain companies that are higher regulations that they have to follow. There are nutraceutical companies that are just practitioner designed that Mm -hmm. the practitioners are the only ones to prescribe them because they feel that most people don't haven't done the lab testing or don't know all the criteria behind why they would need that and they're looking at a single focus rather than the entire body and even within myself my team all the doctors that I work with we do not diagnose and treat ourselves and it's it's huge with us that we and Mm -hmm. we Don't just call each other for advice and just say, hey, do you think I should take such and such? Because I have this symptom. We each will say to each other, you need to go to a practitioner. You need to sit down with them. You need them to look at you and look at your entire body. And if Mm -hmm. we need to do labs or not, let them do that and interpret it for you. So you're not just doing yourself. And that's the same thing I did when it got to the point with my treatment that, I was going through a chemo that no longer made sense. And they wanted me to do 14 treatments. And at 10, it was actually at (laughs) nine that I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't think this makes sense to me. And they said, well, why are you just making this as your decision? I said, no, I have a functional medicine oncologist and I have a nurse oncologist that has specialized in this that is now in functional medicine. And I consulted with them. And this is what we found. And I started talking to my oncologist about the two, the four and the 16 pathway. And as I described this to them- Of estrogen, by the way. Yeah, of estrogen. And -hmm. it's how the estrogen just goes through the liver. And I said, well, it doesn't, what you're trying to do is you're trying to continue on this chemo that was designed for what I don't have. And so you're still going from the original findings. And now you want me to start this new drug called an aromatase inhibitor. And it doesn't make sense because what your drug does doesn't necessarily apply to me. And she said, Well, what do you mean by that? I said, Well, do you know what your drug actually does? And she said, well, um, it um, inhibits uh, aromatase. I'm like, yes, I, I know it's called an aromatase inhibitor, but it, it actually does more than that. And so I said, well, we have the two, the four and the 16 pathway and we call them the good, the bad and the ugly. We want everything to go through the two pathway. That's our goal. That's our our nice, good, healthy, weakest estrogens that come from there. We very little, when that gets overwhelmed, some things will tendency to go through the 16 pathway. And then we have a rollover into the four, which is the bad pathway. And what your drug does is only inhibit the bad pathway. I said, you realize there are nutrients that I can take that'll tell my body to move everything through the two pathway so that the four pathway, this is the goal. four pathway is never, ever used. I said, why would you give me a drug that causes cardiovascular issues? It causes bone loss, and it causes severe joint pain all over my body when I can take, and it's a non-used pathway in my body because I'm going to take all these nutrients. I said, it doesn't make sense for me to take that. And she looked at me like a deer in headlights. And she goes, I was, I'm just say, yeah. she she's was like sorry. She was like, What? I, I have no I idea what you're it. talking about. She's right, like, I'm right. really sorry, but you need to see another oncologist because you're talking so far over my head. I don't understand. Now, That is I, frightening. Yes. But I thank her for at least admitting that because yes. many doctors that I speak to call me up for advice and they hate to admit the fact that they don't know something. And I have to, I'm the same way. I I hate not to know something. I really, I want to feel like I always have the answers for everyone. I'm I'm just glad that she did tell me that. And but I did go to three other oncologists and they all gave me the same answer. They didn't understand. And that's when I went to a functional medicine doctor. And that's why I tell all the people that I talk to, all the patients or all of the doctors that I work with, do not diagnose and treat yourself. You know, take the advice, but go to a doctor.
0: And, and something I do want to tie in that might explain what aromatase is. You know, for example, obesity has been associated with abnormally high expression of this enzyme aromatase that is in breast tissue. It's in the fatty tissue. So local increased local estrogen production, you know, and predisposition to hypoplasia is a predisposition to hypoplasia and breast cancer. And what we see a lot in postmenopausal women is an increase of adiposity or fatty tissue or increase, I should say, increased BMI, which may trigger, you know, uh, signaling pathways to induce more aromatase expression in the fatty tissue. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: and an easy solution for this, or one of the things that you yeah. very simple for people to take the health mm-hmm. this. there's flavonoids and there's lignans, which is flaxseed. So people, a lot of people know, say, yes. oh, I throw flaxseed in there. I make a shake and I throw a teaspoon of flaxseed in there. There you go you're already helping to inhibit the activity of aromatase because that's what converts the estrogens into the incorrect pathways. It's also associated with hair loss. So there's some people, they know that the hair loss is associated with hormonal balance. Well, it can also have to do with aromatase. There's a lot of different interconnections between what we're doing and a lot of basic nutrients can have crossover. Linglans also increase the circulating sex hormone binding globulin. And that'll reduce the levels of our active estrogens. It helps to when estrogens move through the body, they should be bound to sex hormone binding globulin. Mm -hmm. And we want to bring that up. If that's decreased in our body, they're moving around incorrectly, going to the wrong places. So just by having flaxseed, fiber, things like kudzu, not that we're going to eat that, but healthy soy. Soy has a, you know, a bad name, but soy is extremely healthy for women. Extremely. We look at societies that eat huge amounts of healthy soy. I'm just going to put that healthy in front of it. Healthy, healthy, healthy soy that is very healthy for women. And we see societies that they have very low incidence of cancers, hormonal issues, but it has to be the right kind of soy, not just soy milk from the grocery store. That would not be in that category.
0: I, I'm very cautious with soy and if I'm going to make a recommendation for soy, I would rather see a fermented soy. Yeah so and also women with thyroid issues um, don't always do well with soy. And I'm on the fence with that and I find a lot of sensitivity with with soy products. So I, I think there are other things that we women can use to to help with estrogen balance. But I wanted to, there's a couple of things that I wanted to to bring up. Also, vitamin D. D3 is really significant in relationship to breast cancer and reducing
1: a woman's risk for breast cancer. And D is very important in the body. And I think B, D, we're just getting past the idea of the fact that people can overdose on it and that they can come yeah. to toxic levels very easily. And we're now understanding that for many people, the amount when you take D, it only stays in your body for 24, 48 to 72 hours, and then it goes down drastically. So you really need to take D every few days, uh, once a week. For most people is not enough. No, it's not. And we can take higher levels than we did in the past. I remember 30 years ago, people would take a thousand units just every few days. Now we can take five and ten thousand units Mm -hmm. every day and to bring it up. And people are walking around with the level of 20 and 30. And puts them at great risk. Yes. And they don't realize how harmful that is and detrimental that can be to their health. And so we want to go something like 80. And ninety, and that's where really that had been one of the things that I had taken for many years. That I remember somebody telling me when I was very young, saying, "Oh, if you take D and you keep it above ninety, that's what's going to prevent cancer." And that had hung into my head for so many years. But it's not just one thing. So my my D level was eighty one, you know, and that that is considered a nice level of D. But it's not just like you said doesn't just appear overnight. It's not just one thing. It's many things that come into action. And that's why we want to look at all and, of these different things people and, can do. And I think the
0: best way, you know, people say, well, uh, how much D should I take? I make sure that everyone has their D levels checked Absolutely. Once a year, or every six months, if, if they're super low, I want to be more specific in the amount I give them. And, and I say to women, you know, really good optimal levels are between 60 and 80. And that's what we want to aim for. So that's a real, and it's right now with COVID, getting your D up is very, very important. And, you know, vitamin D, fish oils, I can't say enough about EPA and DHA fish oils. I mean, fish oils are exquisite for inflammation. So I, I think women being on a really good phyto-multi, having a woman's iron levels, her ferritin storage levels are really important to her health. We don't check that. Doing uh, Taking a good probiotic. I think, as you said, taking sulforaphane every day, doing a detox shake I think all of us, men and women, should consider some type of detox shake five times a week. I, I do like Inflammex by Metagenics, Inflamix 360. I think it's amazing. I love Estrium. I think it's an incredible shake for detoxifying estrogens. I think anyone that is having issues with PMS or fibroids or heavy bleeding, or they just want to balance out their hormones and open up those pathways, I think that estrium is good. And do you want to talk a little about
1: ester factors? Oh, sure. Estro, we have, well, there's two main points. If I go, I, I'm going to mention some nutrients and I'm going to tell you the formulas that Metagenics has. Just know that there are many of the professional lines of companies have yeah. very similar, mm-hmm. uh, ingredients and they'll have similar formulas, but we do have something called estrofactors. And when we look at this, this is one of the primary things that many people will take following something like cancer or or Mm -hmm. having hormonal issues and very much preventative. You can Mm -hmm. start this very young. Mm -hmm. All the way through perimenopause into menopause because it's helpful in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Even into menopause for helping with hot flashes. You know, hot flashes is is a terrible symptom that people really do not enjoy. But it has ingredients like green tea and we can drink green tea. But again, it comes down to are we going to drink green tea every day? Well, a lot of people just will not bother to do it. So we can extrapolate the best points of the green tea and use those antioxidants. It can be anti-inflammatory, detoxifying. It helps with the phase two glucuronidation. So it's helping with the detox pathways of estrogen. Mm -hmm. We can look it has anti-carcinogenic effects. It actually helps to increase the apoptosis, meaning the killing of cancer cells, but it doesn't affect normal cells. And that's one of the things that we can see is that we can use nutrients that'll protect our healthy cells, but get rid of the unhealthy cells. So drinking green tea can definitely decrease the risk of breast cancer. That's why they started looking at the ingredient ECGC from green tea is where we found such a huge decrease in the breast cancer incident in many different studies that were done just from those uh, phytonutrients that were within there. It helped to get rid of those xenobiotics. In fact, you mentioned plastic before when we were talking about xenobiotics. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a little story that I just wanted to tell you to bring that kind of to the forefront of people's minds with that is that I had a patient one time, he was a male patient, not female. And he was really just feeling not himself. Um, He was feeling very emotional. He was very, very sluggish. He was having, uh, you know, slight pains in his body. But the big part is he just said, I just, I feel like my libido's dropped. I don't know what's going on. He goes, it's been happening for a couple of months. And I, now I just feel horrible. So we started going back through everything that he's doing. He's in the gym. He's working out. He seemed to be eating well. But then we really did a deeper dive into his food. And he turned out that he was eating out a lot. He was getting takeout food. He'd take the takeout food. He'd take it home. He'd put it into the microwave in, you're going to love this Meg, a plastic container. Oh my god. <laughs> he didn't even take it out of the container to put it onto like a ceramic dish. Bad enough he's using a microwave, but he's microwaving it in the plastic. So that plastic was leaching xenoestrogens and all the estrogenic effects into his food. Over months and months and months. And so as he did this, he actually, we did lab testing then and saw that his body was increased the amount of estrogen so high, it was causing all his symptoms. So we basically had to detoxify the hormones in his body, kind of like we would with a female. And we were able to use uh, a different formula, which you had mentioned, Estro Estrobalance, which now it's actually called Axis Endo. And that is a formula. It's been reformulated. We That's came right. up with this because there were so many men that had were losing their testosterone. To estrogen. Now they thought their low testosterone was just, oh, I'm not making enough testosterone. Now that could be, but many men will lose their testosterone into estrogen because they either have too much belly fat or lifestyle change that's converting it with aromatase into estrogen, or they can be putting, you know, xenoestrogens into their body from things like the plastics and things in the environment, also things like medications, uh, statin drugs. They can decrease the master hormone of cholesterol, which leads to testosterone, which leads leads to estrogen. So many people have estrogen inactivity and incorrect balances because of another medication they're taking. So this is where we have to take really a look at the whole body and put it all together and figure out what's going on and what's the end result. And AXIS Endo, we formulated for men and women to help balance that. It's actually made as a detoxifier to put everything through the correct pathways. Well, here's another
0: a uh, little uh study that that may tie into this too we didn't you know oral contraceptives or contraceptives like that that are hormone based that include uh, the iud um, can also increase our risk for breast cancer. There was a Denmark study that was published in 2018 in the New England Journal of Medicine. And this is very interesting. They followed 1.8 million women for nearly 11 years. And what they found was out of 100,000 women in groups of 100,000, 68 of them per year that were on uh, hormone-based you know, IUD and oral contraceptives develop cancer, as opposed to 55 women per year that were not on any hormones, develop cancer. That's significant. It's a that's I mean, and that's a huge study. So out of each group of 100,000, 68 had breast cancer that were on, on the pill. I'm not a fan of oral contraceptives. I think uh, that's another show. People that do
1: that using something that will help to counteract those effects, if they're going to do that, at least say, okay, well, I'm going to take these nutrients in that are going to help to reverse those harmful effects in my body. And and
0: what I actually do recommend to women. is I do a lot of detoxing with medical foods and different supplements. I try to address any underlying PMS, any cramping, any bleeding, and then get them on a copper IUD that has no hormones. Because, uh, you know, when you're in birth control, you're on chemicals, you're on synthetic hormones, and you're messing with your hormone signaling. And that creates a whole cascade of other problems and also depletes the body of magnesium, folate, other various B vitamins. And it also impacts your microbiome and makes women depressed and progestins. I can... I don't have happy things to say about synthetic progesterone. I think it really contributes to low libido, anxiety, and depression. So my whole goal with any woman is get them off synthetic hormones and try to get them on a copper IUD. We could have kept rambling here, but I just, you know, (laughs) give people some take home. What would you like to close with? What would you like to share with women about breast health and lowering the risk for breast cancer?
1: Well, I get a lot of practitioners calling me, asking me, you know, what do I do for this one symptom? What do I do for this one thing? I don't like to pigeonhole people. And I like mm-hmm. to make, not make a cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. And I don't want people to forget that foundational nutrition is really, really important. Yes. And we think yes. that we have to get these fancy things. Now, that's awesome. Because you, I mean, you can get these fancy things and you can get cruciferous vegetables and you can get the sephoraphane and you can get these other things, but please just start with at least your basics. Get a good fish oil, get a good multivitamin, work on detoxifying your body. If you're not going to eat healthy, you have to at least take your vitamins, but please eat healthy. And most people think they eat well and they don't understand some of the things that they shouldn't be doing. So again, you can go and look things up on the internet. Is it correct? Maybe, but many times it is not entirely correct. It's not entirely wrong. It may be not as good as you need to know, but it may not be particularly applying to you. So if you go to a functional medicine practitioner, that's who can guide you. And I know I've said that several times because, you know, people want to just listen and figure it out for themselves. It's not a good idea. No, you know I don't treat my own family. I send my own family because I have a bias about what I think they need. Will I give them ideas and and talk to their doctors? Absolutely. Because I have a high knowledge of what's going on. If I were a regular person, no, I just make sure they're going to an amazing doctor. I myself, I find myself amazing practitioners that they can guide me and really just take care of your whole body. And that's really important. Eat like a rainbow. Mm -hmm. Eat from the outside of the grocery store. So you walk the perimeter of the grocery store, buy all your fresh foods, go inside for I don't know, maybe beans. They've have, they have dried beans and rice in the center of the store. They're not on the outside edges, but pretty much just try and buy fresh foods. And the nice thing is today, is that the most of the grocery stores make up even packaged fresh foods. Is it as good as you buying the package and making it yourself? No. But they'll have a protein, like a meat, wrapped in vegetables inside of it that you can just throw onto the stove and cook. At least do that if you're not going to start from the bottom line yourself. And taking probiotics, prebiotics, that would be the other thing that I and would And vitamin D. Look at your GI tract, yes. D with
0: K, actually. Vitamin D, D with K. K. I would just tell people, start at 5,000 IUs of vitamin D with K.
1: Yeah. They, people don't realize how much that can affect their overall health. It is, oh my God. He has become yes. foundational. And I get questions all the time. It's like, well, if I could take one thing and I'm like, well, oh, the one God. thing would be combining a multivitamin with fish oils with vitamin higher D. <laughs> so yeah, I know. Your, it's really hard. And a probiotic. You, you really can't. And, <laughs> and say one.
0: I find that the first step in making these changes, it, it all starts with self-care making yourself a priority. Saying, I'm I'm going to make a commitment to me. I'm going to lean into making these changes because it will impact my overall health. And the foundation for health is the food that we eat. And also something important I want to throw into the mix, we have to look at cosmetics. I'm actually going to be doing an episode, it may be the next one, on looking at environmental toxins and, and looking at cosmetics and what we can be doing that will stop the continuation of endocrine. You know, we're seeing so many endocrine disruptors out there, and that includes a lot of cosmetics and lipstick and cleansers in our homes, and paying closer attention to that because one of the biggest endocrine disruptors, and we see with teenagers, are cosmetics and I cannot emphasize that that enough. So, I want to thank you Veronica for joining me today. Thank and I you. want to thank everyone for listening in. And if you would love to listen more to these podcasts, you can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Feel free to reach out to me at com. All my contact info is there. And I will share everything that I do. Would love to potentially work with you. Feel free to reach out and we could set that up. But I want to thank everyone So take good care and give yourself a huge hug tonight. Make yourself a big bunch of broccoli with some salmon and maybe a little sweet potato. And take a nice Epsom salt bath with uh, some lavender. Take good care until we meet up again. Be well.